Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Touchdown Review, brought to you by the touchdown.co.uk. I'm your host, Means. Another big show this week. Four great guests, Taib Babu, Joe Valenzuela, Thomas Willoughby and Ollie Hodgkinson, taking us all the way through the NFL and college of the last week and giving us a little sneak preview into what's going to go on in week 15 in the NFL and bowl season starting in college. So without further ado, let's get Taib on the phone and talk about the matchups of the Rams and Cardinals and the Cowboys and the football team. And joining me now, as always this week, we have Taib Abu. Taib, how are we? Yeah, I'm not too bad at all, Paul. Not too bad at all. Um, things to look out for, week 14, you highlighted the, the Cowboys not to let the Washington football team in. They didn't, um, but I guess, based on how we thought at the start of the season, not in a way we'd expect. Um, I think... When people looked at the Cowboys, they probably saw that they were maybe the most talented team in the NFC East, but expected that to be on offense rather than defense. The defense put in a show on Sunday, but should we be slightly concerned by the offense? Um, yes, to a point. I would I would be more concerned about Dak. I think um, for the first time, I think Dak's had a pretty solid NFL career, even though he's not been in while well, he's been in the league a long time for years obviously he's not played as many games with some of the injuries that he's had but he's never really looked like a bad quarterback and I thought and don't get me wrong Washington's defense has been very very good over the last few weeks you'll know that better than mm. any of us Paul um it's just Dak didn't play well and, and for me I feel like if Dallas had to really go deep into the playoffs I think with that win on Sunday it pretty much gives them the divisional win um Indeed. So, so they're in. They're going to be in the playoffs as a divisional winner. So they'll get a home playoff game. So there is concern, but I still have concerns about Dak just because everything looks not composed. And and you go back to when Dak was a rookie when he came in when Romo got injured that first season and they were thirteen and three and with the number one seed. And yet he looked so composed. He looked like a brilliant game manager. Um, and it's almost like he's trying to become this kind of big time gunslinging quarterback and he's kind of starting to forget a little bit of what made him so good in the first place because his decision making on Sunday I thought was quite poor and that to me that's only going to get examined further and further in the playoffs against better teams I think you look at it and there's there's two things that jump out to me from Dak Prescott two years ago say to Dak Prescott now he just flat out refuses to run like it's just not part of his, his game anymore and I can understand that. Like, his, you know, it's 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 tough to forget that you know, fifteen months ago, his foot was facing in the wrong direction. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So it doesn't surprise yeah. me that he doesn't necessarily want to run. And then he had issues with his calf, which I believe is on the other leg, um, earlier in the season, and it did look like it was it was like he wasn't completing his throws. If you know what I yes. mean, like it's yeah. like he was almost trying to avoid it and. I think you're right, you know, I think the defence is excellent, I mean, Washington have a lot of injuries, but even so, I don't think it really made much difference, especially in offensive line against defensive line was a complete and utter mismatch, Um, Teron Diggs did very well against Terry McLaurin before he got injured, Um, he's going to give up plays, Diggs, but he's also going to make plays, I think sometimes you've got to live with that. 
Yeah. I just do wonder, and I think same as you, what you kind of highlighted, and unless they fix that and get Pollard back, because I think I personally think Zeke's done. I just don't see it. Enjoy paying those additional years, Jerry. Um, <laughs> reason seven million four hundred and fifty-three. Why you don't give a running yeah. back a second contract? Yeah. Um, is this team gonna beat a team in the a team that doesn't win the NFC West? That's a even in Dallas. That's still gonna be a tough ask. Yeah, that, that's gonna be the the real difficult ask for them. I do think they need Pollard back because Zeke's just not a three-down back anymore. He's, he's not an every-down back um, who you can give, you know, 50 touches a game. He's just not that running. And he hasn't been really since his rookie year, um, really. He was an outstanding rookie year. He's not really looked like that at all. They look better when Pollard's in just as a change of pace. Mm. The biggest thing, it's going to be massive for Dak if and when they do get to the playoffs because there's going to be so much pressure on him because the Cowboys' offense went healthy. He's arguably, he's arguably the most talented in the NFC in terms of you look at the triple threat receivers they have, mm. the two good backs. Dalton Schultz is a decent tight end. You've got a good offensive line. So they've got kind of very good weapons around him. It's just whether can he just play at a solid enough level. Like I think he's had some good games this season. He's had some very good games this season. But particularly over the last kind of two or three weeks when the Cowboys have had their wobbles, he's just looked... He's looked nervous and hesitant. He's looked kind of timid. It just feels like he's caught between two schools of thought and he doesn't really know which one to stick with. Um, and that, for me, is difficult when you're coming up against good defences, as they will. And even more so because if they do end up playing... If Dallas was to be the two-seed and end up playing one of the wild-card teams from the NFC West, that is going to be an almightily difficult game. Um, so... so yeah, it, for me, it just it looks like a confidence issue more than anything else. I don't think there's anything necessarily technically wrong with Dak, but it just looks like he's it looks like he lacks clear decision making. I think as well, you know, <clears throat> like I'm a Washington fan and you're a Detroit fan for the for those who have been listening, and uh, you know we've had you know less good teams than the most, but. Yeah. Regardless, the teams are, are very rarely noisy. And what I mean by that is it's not a load of press or a load no. of hype around them. Playing for the Dallas Cowboys, whether you know I like it as a Dallas hater or not, it's not the easiest situation in the world. So it's very difficult to you know deal with the rust and stuff like yeah. that when you're playing for the Dallas Cowboys, right? Because it's very rare that you're not on a in a big game. You know, when you look at, oh, who are, who are Dallas playing this week? Dallas is always going to be one of the games that people talk about, or it feels that way anyway. You know, whether it be NBC wanting to have Monkos to play in, in a big market against a, a big team, or, the you know, it's Joe and it's Joe Buck and it's um, Troy Aikman on the, on the call or whatever. Tony Romo, it's difficult to get away from, from Cowboys noise, so... You know, it, it's something they have to deal with, but I think they made the playoffs and now they've got to get ready to, to play well. Um, two of the teams that are going to make the playoffs but now may have a different a different look on it after last night is um, the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, before I went to bed, uh, news came out that, you know, Tyler Higby, Jalen Ramsey weren't going to play due to COVID protocols. And I'm sure that, Vegas lines moved accordingly. 
However, yeah. it didn't affect the score, and the Los Angeles Rams won. And I guess the question is now, can the Rams catch the Cardinals and win a division? Yes, obviously. I think it was massive. Lose that game, they would have been 2-0. and The Cardinals would have been 2-0 and over the Rams. It would have all but iced the, the NFC West for Arizona. The doors open for them. I would say now the big problem that the Rams have got, as it pertains to right now, as I saw a tweet from Schefter for about an hour ago, their facilities shut down, um, and that Odell Beckham's also tested positive for COVID. So that, obviously, I don't know their vaccination rates and this, that, and the other, so mm-hmm. I don't know how that's going to impact them in terms of... Because it's so kind of hit and miss. We saw last year Tennessee have basically two weeks of doing absolutely nothing, and then they came back against Buffalo and destroyed Buffalo. But then, for example, the team like the Lions, I think, had nine players on the COVID list. Um, and they missed two practices on the Wednesday and the Thursday, and they just looked like a team that hadn't practiced all week. So so that's my big difficulty. I would say the one biggest plus I took from the Rams, if I'm speaking from a Rams point of view, is this was the Stafford that I expected to see all season long. Um, it didn't feel like Sean McVay was kind of messing around trying to be too, um, too fancy with his offense, like what he had to do when he had Jared Goff. It was almost a case of, Let's stick Stafford either under centre on shotgun, hard play actions, and let him cut loose. Because his arm, while it's not as good as what it once was 10 years ago, the injuries and everything else is kind of caught up. And it's still very, very good. And I think if Stafford at that level, um, he gives the Rams more than a chance. And, and, and I'd add, the other thing I'd add is, this is a position he's never been in before, mm. in terms of playing meaningful December football apart from the one year and all the two years the Lions made the playoffs in his tenure there um, meaningful December football with a divisional title on the line um, I just think just knowing what the, what kind of competitor he is I just feel like it's going to fuel him even more and I would also say from a Cardinals point of view it feels like it was a game that not got away because I thought the Rams were a, with a better side but all of a sudden 49ers not going to win the division but they're on the come up a little bit. The 49ers are in a good stretch of form. The Rams got a massive win. It's always much harder being the hunted rather than the hunter. And Arizona have kind of had... No one's really spoken about them all season, but they've been outstanding. And now you're in this final stretch and can they seal the deal? They finished last season badly. I think they had a game against the Rams where it was a winning in type of situation and they lost that game. I think it was the one when John Wolford um, started for the Rams. So so they've, they've collapsed before at the final hurdles. Um, and yeah, I think the Rams will really fancy it, depending on obviously what happens now with their facility and the COVID protocols. So Cardinals play your Lions this week, but then play Colts and Cowboys back to back weeks before they play the Seahawks, who could be anybody. The Seahawks could be anything at that point, you know what they're yeah. like. Um, so not the easiest, I guess. Final question before I let you go, Tabe, and that is: you are probably our resident. Matthew Stafford expert you've probably seen more throws from Matthew Stafford than most as you said there's some of those throws last night hard play action and then absolute just just bombs let's be honest yeah that's where he seems to be at his best do you expect McVeigh to continue with that and do you think Matthew can win those games when he needs to win those games on the first one, I'd say I hope so. Because um, I remember watching when they played Green Bay a few weeks ago and it felt like it was almost like 
he was still had Jared Goff as his quarterback. It looks similar to what mm. they were running last year. Um, and to me, Stafford's just not that quarterback. Like you just got to let him take the handbrake off and let him rip. He's going to make mistakes. Um, Twelve years of learning that bad habits. He's always going to make a mistake or two in a game. Um, where the Rams will hope is they've got people like Von Miller and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey hopefully to come back so it doesn't hurt them as much as what the Lions did. And on the second one, yeah, I think Stafford has. One of the best season I ever saw Stafford, and people, there was a lot of chatter this week about the Lions should never have fired Jim Caldwell. And bizarrely, this seems to rear its ugly head all the time. And people say, oh, he got the Lions into the playoffs in the 2016-17 season. They lost to the Seahawks in the wildcard round. They were 9-7 and seven and they won. In, I think, eight of those games that they won, Stafford led fourth quarter game winning drives the Lions were a bad bad team that season Stafford was playing on a different level altogether it was the best season I've ever seen from him just game winning drive after game winning drive whether it was overtime whether it was two minute drills four minute drills it was phenomenal and I just feel like and that was with a slight chance of making the playoffs for a team that never makes the playoffs the kind of goal that's there for the Rams to play a Super Bowl in their own stadium I just feel like it's going to drive him. I don't think the moment will be too big for him. He'll always make mistakes because that's what he is. Um, like I kind of liken him a bit like Philip Rivers or Favre. Mm-hmm. He's, he's in that type of mold where you go back and think, what did you do that for? You're so good. You don't need to do that. And then you'll throw a touchdown pass like you did to Van Jefferson. Um, yes. That, that's kind of what he is and what he'll always be. I don't think he's going to change that now. Not at, not at this stage of his career. But I certainly don't think the moment's going to be too big for him. And I hope in the last part of this season that McVay really does try and take the top off this offense because so saw the throw that Herbert made on Sunday against the Giants Stafford can make any throw in the book whether it's no look passes sidearm passes or just ripping one for 70 yards you can do it all let him go because the results could be spectacular um, fantastic Ted. one final thing I guess you know in in, in defence of uh, the man with no facial expressions Mr Jim Caldwell I mean whether he was good or bad at the moment we seem to have coaches like Matt Nagy and um, yes. Evan Meyer and this is why Jim Caldwell's name reappears because they're like yeah. oh my god he won 10 games with the Lions yeah. he, was, he was one of the nicest men ever um, but I think ultimately players kind of took advantage of that yeah of um, because sometimes you need like the hardline guy as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Um, Caldwell was like he was like everyone's favorite granddad. Yeah, yeah, um, I understand. Lovely man, knew his football inside out. But he just it was it always felt like it needed like Stafford or Megatron or Sue or whoever else to lead the Lions to like <laughs> let's get amped up for this. Because a lot of the times they used to start games like in second and first gear just so flat. They used to get mm. better throughout the games, but. If you're playing 10 0 down against Green Bay in Lambeau, that's very difficult to come back from that. Definitely, um, definitely. Hence all the game winning drives from Stafford. So that was the big thing. But like I said, um, lovely, lovely man. And um, I, I, it's one thing before I finish, like, I was thinking about this in Pete Carroll the other day. Like, when o- old head coaches get rehired, people always brand it as, as a retread. But, like, say, for example, like, we watch football, like Premier League football, mm. you'll always see. So, for example, a guy like um, Sam Allardyce, for example. While I'm not a big fan of Allardyce, he'll always get a good job because, to be fair, he does his job to a good level mm-hmm. wherever he goes, whether it's Palace or whoever. Generally keeps teams up. Like, there's no shame in hiring a retread. Like, 
they've been hired because they're good head coaches. And Caldwell's a good leader and he's a good man. Um, and it'd be nice to see him back somewhere in the NFL. Maybe a front office job. Mm, absolutely. Can't 100% agree. And on that note, Dave, I'll let you go. I'll speak to you next week. Yeah, no problem, Paul. And joining me now, I'm assuming an extremely happy man, Mr. Joe Banswaler. Joe, how are we? I was pretty happy until I read the news about an hour ago. So, you stole my first question. So, yeah, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So, fantastic win for the Browns uh-huh. over the Ravens on Sunday. However, looks like eight players from the practice squad and the main squad on COVID protocols. Does How big an impact does this have? especially with the game on Saturday against the Raiders? Uh, it, it's not a big deal to lose your top two uh, receivers <laughs> and your right guard who just signed a $56 million extension. Those are places are pieces that can just get replaced <laughs> overnight. Uh, good news is, with our remaining schedule, this is, on paper, uh, the easiest game we have. The Raiders are, you know, they're out of it. They have had too much to overcome, it looks like, this season, and... And last week was the nail in the coffin. So that is the promising thing. Uh, we did beat, you know, the division leaders under some different circumstances. Our uh, injury fortune actually turned, uh, you know, into something of a positive this week. Typically, we're on the wrong side of that, and I, I never want to see a player get hurt, and especially Lamar Jackson. I uh, admittedly, sometimes in the past, if I see a guy of his caliber playing our team and, and they go down, I'm not happy that they get hurt from like a sigh of relief. But at that point in the game, I honestly was upset because I was like, I think we were going to beat them, but I, I don't want any excuses. I want to know where we stand because at that point, uh, that was the standard in the division to, to beat that team. So, you know, Tyler Huntley came in and he, he finished the game strong, but we did what we needed to. It wasn't pretty by any means, but... Uh, Defense really stepped up there at the end, and then we got the W, which is all that that matters at this point in the season. Um, I have a question before we get back on to On the COVID protocols, do we know, Joe, of those Wills, Landry, do we know what their vaccination status, as in, do we know if they're out for Saturday yet, or is there still a chance they could play? I don't know if they can play, but I... What I did read on ESPN said that they were all uh, vaccinated, so okay. I know that's at least a positive. But uh, it, you know, happening already, you know, it feels like midway through the week uh, makes it very tough, right? But it, it, it's it's not yeah. it's not out of the question, I guess. But it it, it could be okay. Yeah, yeah. It, okay. It's just tough because there's two linemen, um, and we we have Blake Net, uh, Nance who has kind of stepped in on all roles throughout the season, and he's going to obviously need to play if that happens. But we already lost Jack Conklin, so the only starters we look like we're going to have as of now are J.C. Treader and Joel Petonio, who they are very good players, but you do not want to have three new linemen. And the Raiders aren't the best defense, but what they do have is good edge rushers in Max Crosby mm-hmm. and Ngakwe. So not not ideal. Uh, hopefully Wills can come back, and then obviously the bigger piece is Wyatt because he – he might be the best lineman we have, but we'll see. It's it's that time of the year where you're just gonna have to figure it out. Um, but you know, I'm excited. I am. I, I love this part of the season, especially like 
Uh, it could all get taken from me in three hours on Sunday, but we are we are riding high with everything that happened um, this past week for sure. Yeah, it's it's it, it's good to be involved and not be involved, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was a a pretty big week for the Browns, considering well, all three of the rest of the division lost, right? Steelers lose a, a crazy game to the Vikings, and why I say crazy is they should have been beat about fifty nil and ended up only just losing. Um, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure Browns fans, including yourself, were like only the only the Steelers could come back and win this game, um, and then the Bengals kind of cough up one against the 49ers, and then obviously you guys against the 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 uh, against the um, <coughs> against the Ravens. Um, I look. I, I went into the schedule for Week 15, and obviously mm-hmm. we've already talked briefly about yourselves against the Raiders. And to say that's the easiest game for the for the AFC North would probably be an understatement. Um, the Ravens are playing the Packers, the Bengals are at the Broncos, and the Steelers are at the Titans. Which one? Do you expect any of these teams to win? <coughs> Honestly, the only team that I don't expect to win is Baltimore. I actually think Cincinnati will take care of business, and somehow I think those <laughs> damn Steelers are just going to find a way. And those games aren't out of the the realm of possibilities of, of ending up as a loss. The only one I think that is pretty certain is the Ravens game. That is, of course, uh, with the mindset that Lamar Jackson is going to play. I don't think Tyler Huntley is beating Aaron Rodgers, especially when now they're in a position to hold that one seed. They're going to you know, keep their foot on the gas. Uh, and then our, our game, we cannot lose. If we lose this game, I think it's over because then we, uh, we go to uh, Lambeau next week on Christmas, which I'm excited for. Hopefully, like we said last week, this division is brutal for all yes. four teams yes. in terms of schedule these last four or five weeks. <laughs> so you look if you just if you hadn't realized that and you were just looking at your team's schedule and you're like, oh my god, you know, there's no way we're gonna we're gonna get the wins needed. These other teams might not either. So, and I, I I've been doing all this, you know, research and or I don't know if you want to call it research, but I've been looking and the possibilities of, of what might happen. And I, I might be getting a little carried away just seeing how things could unfold. And I got to remind myself, it, it's a one week at a time. Beat the Raiders and then you yep. can look to Green Bay because I'm like, okay, well, well, the four seed, okay. Then a couple things could happen, you know. But it, I, I need to I need to step back a little. I am aware of that. <laughs> well, what I would say is if you look at it, just to kind of give, give everybody else some context, uh, as... As to, as Joe mentioned, um, Browns play the Packers on Christmas Day. Um, um, uh, Ravens play Bengals at the Bengals, and the Steelers are at the Chiefs. In week seventeen, yeah. you have um, the Bengals playing the Chiefs. You have. I saw uh, that this morning. Oh, that made me happy. <laughs> exactly right. The Browns against Steelers is Monday Night Football. And Ravens are playing the LA Rams. Yeah, this is this is in literal insanity. This this thing. Then you got last game of the season. You got Browns at Bengals. You have, and then obviously then you will have uh, Steelers at Ravens. So an absolute murderous row for these teams, and um, something that you know, as Joe pointed out, and as everyone should wait, you've just got to take this, as you said, you're one game at a time, and that starts with. Making sure you do the deed, however you do it, against the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, two two things there that, that jump out. Though what I keep thinking, and I 
it just feels so likely that that week 18 Cincinnati Cleveland game is going to decide the division the way things are lining up mm-hmm. at least in my head so that game yeah I, like I said I got I got to tone it back but that's the one I'm like that is going to be a legendary game uh, I think but what does um you know give me some optimism we're going to get slept on again this week in terms of the run game because really we haven't run the ball the last 3 weeks with the bye included People don't realize the Ravens, as banged up as they are, they have the best, uh, if not one of the best, run defenses in the league. So we, you know, that's our bread and butter. We run the ball. Cream Hunt still doesn't look great, and then you know Nick Chubb. There wasn't a lot of of room to run, and I think we're gonna run all over the Raiders this week. Mm-hmm. Where especially with all these guys here, um, I could see us doing a bunch of of sets with six linemen and then Njoku maybe hopefully he plays I know he didn't play last week because of COVID though so he's a guy I'm hoping that can come back and maybe stretch the field on some play action but I think I I'll be shocked um you know obviously the game could turn into a something where we're playing from behind but if if it's a, a close game I don't see a scenario where we don't run the ball 30 times at least because we're going to be in that dome there's going to be no reason why we can't just put our foot down and play some old school football. But that's what worked for us last year. And I know we wanted it to work uh, against the Ravens, but it, it didn't. And I like that Stavansky didn't force his hand there and he let the game come to him, especially in the first half. But we need we need to punish them. And and if you saw last week, you know, the Chiefs, as great as they are, they're not the most physical team. And they beat up the Raiders. So we are a physical team. And I think with them, and you know, I feel like the mindset that they're in is pretty deflated. If we can just step on them early, I, I don't. They're not going to come back, at least in my eyes. So yes, that is what I'm envisioning for this Sunday or this this weekend. Yeah, get ahead, get ahead early, and it could be a good one. And speaking of early, for for those listening, make sure you remember this game is Saturday. This yeah, is I, Saturday. I just got myself there. Yeah, <laughs> this is a Saturday. College is college is college is done for well, apart from bowls. So, but college Saturday is done, and therefore the NFL is is a set up camp on Saturdays, and there are two two games this Saturday: Raiders at Browns, and then the small matter of Patriots at Colts, which will give us all Brady Manning vibes from back in the day. If you're old enough to remember that type of thing. Um, yeah. Joe, fantastic to speak to you again. Um, I will let you go. Good luck on Saturday, and we'll speak next week to find out how the murderers row went in week 15 and what's for the AFC North coming in week 16. Thank you. There's there's one little quick thing I need to mention. Go I just for want it. to thank the football gods on my parlay. I want you to just tell – I want you to go through my, my mind and, and realize the type of weekend I had. Uh, so I, had, I took the Cowboys over the – the football, the football team? team almost didn't cover it at the end. Yes, uh, and then the next ones were. I mean, it, it. I I lost some years of my life. The the uh, Buccaneers needed to cover by three. They look like they're going to. Josh Allen did that, and if they got the field going overtime, not not going to cover. So not going to cover it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then I had the Packers eleven and a half. That did not look like it was going to happen. Thank God for Aaron. And then when that onside kick happened, oh yes. my God, were they? <laughs> I, I was like, oh. And then last night I had the over on the the Rams Cardinals, and it was fifty three. So it was fifty at the end. And Matt Prater like had to run on for that forty nine yarder. 
Uh, I was like, oh my God, please make this. And he did. So thank you, Football Gods. You guys are, aren't are always there, but you, you answered the, the bell this weekend. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. I don't want to make them mad. Just, just give me that energy going into this weekend, please. Fun. Fantastic, Joe, and, and absolutely, when you get a chance to praise those gods, you need to do it, because they will, if yes. you don't, they will punish you later on in life. There's a reason football is played on Sunday. That's Correct. Yeah. Fantastic, Joe. I'll let you go. Thank you. And joining me now, um, after all the news you're hearing of COVID protocols in the NFL, I have had to bring thomas back off his covid protocol thomas willoughby how are we back from the dead yeah i had a uh i was, I was put into um isolation wasn't allowed to leave my bedroom for uh 10 days what a shame that was by the way not being able to work for 10 days <laughs> horrid <laughs> um but no I, I i i can't stress enough um you don't want to get it it's it's not nice uh, and i apologize in advance if there are there are any uh, outbursts um but yeah do what needs to be done get yourself uh, properly protected all that good stuff um but yeah yeah thanks for asking <laughs> no problem um let's get straight on a bit of cheer me up on sunday um as as the as the falcons beat the panthers but my my question really is is has there been a better job of hiding how so sorry let me stay is Urban Meyer existing doing Matt Rule one of the greatest favours in NFL history because people are ignoring the absolute debacle he is leading in Carolina at present? Yeah, so, I mean, j- j- full disclosure, I obviously I do the, the stock report every week. that um, comes out every Wednesday, uh, and I don't tell anybody what my topics are going to be. Um, it's all very hush-hush, nobody knows, and then everybody finds out on the Wednesday. Um, but this isn't the first time. Uh, that you've managed to pick a topic for us to talk about that has been featured in that. So it's like we're on a, we're on, you know, we're operating on a Sym- cali- symbiotic, cali- right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So I mean, I don't. A lot has already been said about Urban Meyer, and I don't know about you, but it just looks like he's checked out. Um, there was a, there was a, a, an image of him at the end of the, the Titans game, a handshake with. Um, uh, Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. Oh, yeah, dreadful names. Um, where it was just sort of like slap the hands, not even acknowledging him. It's just kind of like this is a man who clearly wanted to get fired in the middle of the season, checked out in a in a bar in Ohio um, halfway through the season, and at this point, it's just kind of like I don't know. I think he wants to get fired. I don't think he wants to be there anymore. Um, but I also feel like the Jaguars don't want to pay out on him. But him being pretty dreadful and leading an awful Jaguars team, as you've rightly pointed out, is hiding the fact that Matt Rule's doing a pretty awful job uh, with the Panthers at the moment, and he probably shouldn't be because that Panthers defense, at least, mm. um, has some really nice pieces. Uh, and obviously I watched um, the Falcons uh, play the Panthers in full on Sunday, um, and I haven't gone back to watch it because I, I, I don't want to watch that again. Um, <laughs> but it's just sort of like... Matt Rule's now been in charge of Carolina for a year and a half. Um, obviously, this is halfway through his second season. He has a ten and eighteen, uh, ten and nineteen uh, win loss ratio, um, and not all of that can be put on him. That they were pretty talent bereft last season, um, 
But this season should have seen a huge step forward, and it just seems to be misstep after misstep um, on both sides of the ball. Obviously, offensively, we know they've got three backup quarterbacks as their in, in their quarterback stable, and they don't really know what they're doing with that position, which isn't helping. Um, he let Joe Brady go in the week uh, last week, which it was a bit bizarre to me because I think Joe Brady's brilliant. Um, it, it's it's the sort of thing I, I touch on it in the in the stocks, and you you can read it tomorrow. Um, there's a thing in team sports about giving the manager or, or the head coach time. But you have to ask how much time can you give somebody to make an impression. A year and a half in, you should have an idea of where this project's going. And right now, it's just going nowhere. They've got the third most difficult run to the end of the season. They're going to miss the playoffs again. It's just going to, it feels like we're heading to the end of that particular, that particular era of Carolina football. And I don't know where it goes from here. I, I do look at it and I think, um, as you said, I'm all. I'm not necessarily one for just <clears throat> firing people for the sake of firing people. However, if there's cause, then I do see it being a point, right? And I look and I think they've paid Matt Rule an awful lot of money and gave him an awful lot of control, whether anybody likes that or not. Um, he decided that he would get rid of Teddy Bridgewater to bring in Sam Darnold to 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 use him reasonably well towards the start of the season to realise he's not very good that we all knew to then pay $10 million to Cam Newton who was someone who was a free agent and he didn't need to pay $10 million to to then middle of game three they're playing PJ Walker as some kind of you know Scat back, bring him in, take him out. Do Cam bring Cam Newton in, bring Cam Newton out. You had Joe Brady. You knew what Joe, Joe Brady was about based on what he'd done at LSU, and then you moan that he doesn't run it enough when you haven't really got the personnel to run it a lot anyway. The best yeah. players are probably DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, and you seem to barely use them. And rightfully so questions need to be asked I I think sometimes it's easy to think this guy did it somewhere so we'll let him we'll, you want to get him involved and there was a number of franchises that wanted Matt Rule so you give him a lot of powers and he'd never been a head coach in the NFL so I'm not sure why I want him to have more powers than just being the head coach and it seems like from a, 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 a little bit of a far, you're probably closer than me in terms of it being in your division. Yeah, There's a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't be going on and that should be a concern when you have a new owner who is unbelievably rich and seems to want to make this successful by throwing a lot of money at it. That's probably not good for long-term coaching stability. No, and and um, obviously, with these, he's made a David Tebb, He's made a huge commitment to um, trying to. They built it. They built a whole new team facility, the, the the training ground or whatever. So, like, it's not like he's taken it over just to milk it. He's he's genuinely trying to build something good, um, which you know, when you've got that much money, I suppose you can. Um, and Carolina have had 
issues, uh, injury issues. Like obviously, the, the the big one is going to be Christian McCaffrey. The fact that he's not barely featured, but we're, we're looking at sort of two again a year and a half into Matt Rule being the the head coach, and you can count on on sort of two hands how many games Christian McCaffrey's been involved in. Mm. Um, and he's so good as well, which is sort of like you, you build your team around him, and when he's taken away, it's going to be difficult. Um, obviously, Tuba Hubbard's pretty okay uh, for a rookie, and, and he, he could he could be pretty successful uh, long term. Um, but that's an awful lot to put on a rookie uh, rookie shoulders to to, to go, go and replace Christy McCaffrey. Um, but they just look so lost. They, d- defensively, um, they shouldn't be. I know that obviously seven of them were it was a Michael Walker pick six um, on Sunday, but seven of those twenty nine points were, were were from from the Falcons defense. But you shouldn't be conceded twenty nine points to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and questions have to be asked about what is actually going to happen next season because I don't the the, imp- the impression I got all off season with the Carolina were all in on Deshaun Watson. And it just didn't wasn't going to happen, and then they panicked. Um, do they try to sort of look again this off season, depending on what happens with him? Do they go in a, another another direction? Because that that needs to be resolved. The quarterback position needs to be resolved. I think they wanted Cam Newton to really really take over the position, so they they could forget about it. Um, and clearly, that's not happened. Um, and do you want? Matt Rule and his team to be the because the, the, it's a crucial year. You, you've got a lot of younger players coming to the end of their rookie contracts or, or sort of mid midpoint of their rookie contracts, and you've got nothing to show for it. Do you really think that this coach and his team are taking them in the direction that you want to be going in? And, and I would, I if if I were in that position, I would struggle to say yes. This is the project that we believe in. Um, it's. It's, it's it's tough tough times in in Carolina. Um, fortunately for them, there are uh, two other teams in in their division that have no money uh, for the next couple of years, and another one with an aging quarterback. And they've got to figure out their own situation in however many years Tom Brady's got left. Um, so there 75 is a window. Is the answer to the question of how many years okay, Tom Brady's so got th- left? By the way, Paul. in th- in thirty years' time, Matt Rule's project is going to be bearing fruit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you have to, there is going to be a window opening for them, and they have to ask themselves genuinely: Do they think that Matt Rule is the guy who is going to take advantage of it? And I would struggle to um, to, to make a case for him being the guy. No, exactly. I'm sure and, he's um, I, I spoke to Ty before. We mentioned Zeke Elliott. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey. I think I said Zeke Elliott was reason seven million four hundred fifty-seven thousand and one. So this would make Christian McCaffrey seven million four hundred fifty-six thousand and two. Of why you do not, do not give a running back a large second contract. You may we, think it's a good idea, and they are great, but the one time it works does not mean the other forty-seven million times when it doesn't work is wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I'm I'm a sucker for the, the the guys getting paid what they're owed, and and fair play to of course, yeah. Um, but I, I I can see what they wanted to do, which was basically have a bridge quarterback, um, a bridge war quarterback, um, basically use McCaffrey for the duration of that contract while they mm-hmm. sorted the rest of the team out and then brought in the next guy um obviously that hasn't played out the way that they liked um but you are right and and it, it is um 
it should it should be a uh, sort of it sh- it should be very well known. And you just have a look at the example. The Falcons are still paying Devontae Freeman, um, and he hasn't played for the team for a year and a half. Um, I'm pretty certain Todd Gurley's still on the Rams books. It's, it's sort of like you, you, you pay you pay it out for the, a position that's incredibly volatile. It happens, you know. There there are one or two examples where it pays off, but in the modern NFL, when you see offensive coordinators like Carl Shanahan just getting guys off the street and turning them into electric running backs, you can you can kind of make do um, with if as long as you've got a you've got a good scheme, you're fine. And um, yeah, but. McCaffrey will be back at some point. I, 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 you hope because I, I think he's brilliant. But yeah, it's it, it's the sort of thing that you look at and go, I really, you, you, I, I suspect they are somewhat regretting it at this point. Um, move over to to what we we love talking about, me and you, which is um, <laughs> the NFC playoff picture um, and the seven seed, which uh, is tied at the moment between five teams. Um, that is um, the Washington football team, who for three quarters were absolutely boat raced at home. Well, I say at home, um, at at a Texas-filled Washington arena. Um, yeah, then north, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they even brought their own flipping seats, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which sums up the shit all that is um, FedEx Field. Uh, anyway, then the Eagles. Um, your Atlanta Falcons, um, the absolutely magnificent, crazy Minnesota Vikings, and the New Orleans Saints, all of which are at six and seven. All of which I'm pretty sure me or you or both of us have said are garbage this season, but somehow are right slap bang in the middle of a playoff push, uh, which is uh, frankly they're sickening uh, and should not be allowed. But there you go. Um, Washington play Philadelphia. Your Atlanta Falcons, I don't need to tell you, are playing the 49ers. Um, the Saints are playing an aging quarterback in, in Tom Brady. Uh, and the Vikings are playing the Bears. Right now, who's got the inside track on this horrific seven seed who are going to get blown out by the two seed? It's so it's so dumb. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the the great thing about it, as I as I've said four or five times on this very podcast, is that we're two weeks from Christmas, um, and there is still a genuine playoff race, and it's quite exciting. But we're going to regret it. Um, the, the 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 even better thing about it is all of those teams control their own destiny because a lot of them play each other. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Falcons are playing the Forty ers this this weekend and I, i've got very i don't have particularly high expectations that we, we the falcons haven't had us like a like a, a a statement victory this this season they haven't had all, all of our wins have come against banged up say uh, teams or teams with losing records um and this would be the if, if they were to pull it off this would be the one that you point to and go okay they are actually a professional outfit um it's not going to happen but if they do, you've got to drag the 49ers down into it, and yeah. then it's a two-spot race again. Um, the fact that loads of teams played... Obviously, we, we touched on it last time um, that I was on. The NFC East is playing each other yeah. just for the rest of the season. Obviously, Washington just have everybody. Eagles have everybody. It's just sort of like... If I had, if I had to answer right now, and again, this is probably just recency bias, 
Um, I would say Minnesota. Um, I, but I can't. I, I've just got a feeling about your 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 foot your your football team. Um, they've got that. You, I, I know that he's a. He's not a meme. He's 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 an actually pretty okay quarterback, and he seems like a he's he's got a really nice story. But T- Taylor he- um, uh, Heineke's got something about him, um, and there are some players on that offense, like actually good players. Um, that they again always coming back to the Falcons, but the Falcons had uh, JD McKissick for mm. one off season, um, and he became a uh, he he became the preseason darling of of twenty sixteen or seventeen, um, and then he bounced around. Uh, Seattle and possibly New York. Obviously, he's, he's landed in um, uh, Washington, and he's a he's a he's a player. Um, Antonio Gibson's a player. Um, Scary Terry. He's a he's a good player. You've got some players, and, mm. and it's just sort of like they the run. I know that you've got to play Dallas again. That's probably the one that's sort of like they're gonna have to. They got four games after you play Philadelphia twice. The yeah. Giants. You are. Just terrifically bad. Although I have an amazing record against Washington and then Dallas, so they probably have to go three and one. Issue yeah. is, um, a lot of the players that you mentioned are on the injury report slash yeah. Oh, yeah. COVID protocol, which like I think That's Washington's was what Washington's main COVID protocol was Jonathan Allen, um, who was basically the only fit defensive lineman left against. Philadelphia's rushing attack especially hurts, that's an issue if they win that game in Philadelphia then they're probably good I'm with you though, I I do look and think I I, I call them Kurt coupons because you know I love him because I hate him Um, but I do think if they if they've got Cook back and Jefferson and Cousins and the defence can do a job. I think they're probably favourites. And and this week, they probably have the easiest game out of the four, even if it's just to get a game ahead, right? If we if we expect, say, if Philly beat Washington, then, then it'll be them and Minnesota at level at 7-7. Seven and seven. The others are 6-8. and eight. That's a, you know, That may be a big gap and something that the other teams can't really catch up from. The other thing is... Um... I think the other thing is, um, Minnesota got beat by uh, Detroit. Um, am I right? I, I, I'm yes. not misremembering that. Yeah, no, no, so they did. They're, they're the one. They're the one team that got beat by the worst team in the league. And it's sort of like you can't let them into the playoffs, having been the one team to lose to a team that, again, maybe four professional players. Um, the, the Falcons, uh, again, who I keep coming back to, um, have shot themselves in the foot early in the season by blowing a big lead to Washington yes. that's going to come back and, and be a tie break issue for them um, unless if I, th- I think for the, for the Falcons to make it in they have to win three of the next four um, yeah. it's uh, San Francisco Detroit, Buffalo, New Orleans and, and I think I, the, the way that I've counted it up they can afford to lose to Buffalo um, but this this game on Sunday is, is a must win just if nothing else just to get another NFC win um, of which there are few. Um, obviously, the Saints snapped a was it a four or five game losing streak. They they, they were on a, a a really tough slide, and again, it's it's only the Jets, but that might be enough for them to go. Okay, we've got Alvin Kamara back, and if we can just not if if we can keep Taysom Hill from having to throw the ball, that might be enough for them. Um, 
I think they've probably got more to say in the race than than we do. Um, but if I again, if I if I had to to answer, answer you, your final two slots are going to San Francisco and, and Minnesota. Um, just there, there are too many good players in, in, with, with the Vikings for them to, to to not put something together, not do it, not do enough, not to say that they're going to do anything in January, but just enough just to sneak in, mm. and that'll probably be enough for them. What a horrific, horrific situation we're in, and we really need to get the NFL to fix this. I'm all for parity. I'm not sure I'm here for garbage teams getting in the playoffs. Thomas, we will find out over the next three weeks where we get to with this, four weeks where we get to with this. Can't wait, although <laughs> I can if if our teams, or my team especially, is still involved because they're just, they don't deserve to be. But anyway, I will let you go. Zero coughs, which is fantastic news. Hopefully you will yeah. continue to improve and we'll have you at 200% this time next week. Yeah, I'm supposed to be seeing Spider-Man tomorrow, so uh, I'll be excited watching that um, stifling cough for two and a half hours uh, in a cinema of some very excited nerds. Um, I am I am tremendously jealous that you are going tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going until the weekend due to work yeah. commitments and whatever, so um, enjoy and... Um, for the love of God, don't put anything on Twitter that I might see. <laughs> no, um, no, it's uh, yeah. I, I, I know, I know firsthand how difficult it is to um, sort of dodge that. I mean, the the moment it comes out, any film that's got a midnight release, um, I'm, I'm not doing. And we'll go at lunchtime tomorrow. Um, it's just like you've got to basically delete Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The day. It's just like I can't. You can't <laughs> risk it. I don't want to see what happens to Luke Skywalker or whatever. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, uh, I'll enjoy that, hopefully, and uh, hopefully we'll speak uh, next week. And we're both excited about our teams being good, not yeah, really. really? No. I'm not yeah. sure, but we'll see. <laughs> Cheers, Thomas. Cool. And joining me now to talk college after all that NFL with the other guys, it's Mr. Ollie Hodgkinson. Ollie, how are we? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Um, first question: This see the regular season is over. We're waiting for the the playoffs and and, and the bowl games, and we'll get on to that. But I guess major news coming out this week is Bryce Young won the Heisman. I guess basically off the, sounds like sounds ridiculous, but but kind of two um, two performances. A win over Auburn and then a win in the SEC title game kind of took him over the line. Was he your Heisman Trophy slash best player, college player in the big the big five conferences player of the season? Um, I think it's a tough question. Um, I think anyone who watches college football knows that um, Bryce Young, from a pure skill perspective probably wasn't even the best player on his own team will will anderson's a, mm-hmm. probably the best player in college football full stop but i do think bryce young was a deserving heisman winner when you look at the finalists so will anderson wasn't a finalist for whatever reason heisman voters decided that he wasn't deserving of being there in new york which was you know wrong in my opinion when you take that out of the conversation and you look at the four finalists for me bryce young was a was a deserving heisman um, winner um, and I think in some respects you could even say he was more deserving than Will Anderson because you look at the Alabama defence this season and despite the performances of Will Anderson never managed to quite elevate that defence to 
the same level that Bryce Young elevated the offense, if that makes sense. You're talking about a guy who has set program records for passing yardage, set program records for most passing yards in a first start, set SEC championship game records for passing yards. And we're talking about a guy who's done that in his first season under center, only his second season in college football, first season under center. He's done it with, I think of the four P's when I think of Bryce Young, I think of poise, professionalism, precision and placement. And and that's, that's kind of sums up what Bryce Young has done this season. He's been so poised for a young quarterback. He's handled everything that being the starter at Alabama, a program that, you know, routinely expects success. He's done it with professionalism. Some of the the ball placement has been outstanding, and he's just been a, a joy to watch for me this season. So, I do think he was a deserving Heisman winner. And when you look back at recent Heisman winners, you look at the quarterbacks that have won that award. Now, aside from Joe Burrow, who had a season for the ages that you know you you don't see replicated. Ever really, Bailey Zappi's Bailey Zapp, got close this year for Western Kentucky. But when you think about the stage that Joe Burrow set, those those insane numbers at, um, no one's come remarkably close. But if you look at Baker Mayfield, you look at Kyler Murray, the previous winners before Joe Burrow, the quarterback position. You know, Bryce Young had more touchdown passes than Kyler Murray in fewer games. Same as Baker Mayfield in fewer games, fewer interceptions than Murray, Mayfield, and Joe Burrow. So, from a pure statistical standpoint, he's you know he's elevated himself above some quarterbacks who'd already won the Heisman Trophy. So, for me, I think Bryce Young was a deserving winner um, in New York City on Saturday evening. Past twelve Heisman winners, um, we have Devontae Smith last year, and we have Derrick Henry in two thousand fifteen. Outside of that. Go all the way back to Cam Newton, Robert Griffin, Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. You will sense a theme quarterbacks. All of them, except those first two I mentioned, Smith and Henry, have been quarterbacks. Ironically, both of those two from Alabama. Is it? Is it? Is it a, a trophy that a defender like a Will Anderson or an Aiden Hutchinson who came second? Do they even have a chance to win it, or are they, are they just kind of will invite one of them along because it makes us look a bit better? But I think is it is has anyone won one since Woodson won it? And Charles Woodson remains the only defensive, uh, primer, primarily defensive player to have won the Heisman um, in its entire history. Um, so it is very much a. Um, same as the NFL MVP, it's impossible to win the NFL MVP as a. Yeah. As a um, as a, a defensive player in a, outside of the quarterback position. You know, it is predominantly a, a quarterback sport. It's a passing game. It's a quarterback-driven league. Both the NFL and college football are heavily influenced by quarterbacks. Um, and, and unfortunately, rightly or wrongly, that's that's where we're at with it. If we move on to the, the AP pick, the Royal American team, you are um draft expert extraordinaire, PFN, about to dive onto Twitch. He's given given us our time prior to that. There's going to be a lot of people in that All American team who will be in April getting their name called out in the draft. Which ones do we think people will be wowed by? Quite interesting going through the AP All American teams actually because they, they they do first team, second team, third team. The the three teams are absolutely chock block with talent. 
Um, and it's quite difficult, actually, to narrow it down to guys who won't make an impact in the league. But I, I picked a few guys out from each team. Uh, I'm going to start with the, the first team with Ikem Akwani, the offensive tackle from NC State. He's a guy who I absolutely love studying through the summer. Um, just a big, bad bastard, for want of a better phrase. He absolute mauler in the wrong game. For me, I, I think he projects better to play inside at guard, although he has shown this season for NC State that um, he can cut it at offensive tackle. few games last year when he played there where... For me, I didn't think he looked like he was that comfortable playing the position. But he, at the end of the day, the guy was a um, an all-conference in the ACC um, at both positions, which is absolutely outstanding. But he, he plays the game with such physical violence. And, and off the field, you look at the guy, he's bespectacled, smiling chap. But <laughs> he is an absolute demon on the field, an absolute destroyer of men. Um, so I came to I'm just doing my um, latest four-round mock draft for PFN, and he's going to figure very highly on that. Um, so definitely a guy to watch out for. Uh, next man up, Trey McBride, the tight end at Colorado State. He went over a 1,000 yards for Colorado State this year in an offense which is, if anyone knows anything about Steve Adazio's um, history at Boston College, all power run at Colorado State, very run-centric. But Trey McBride, the tight end, went over a 1,000 yards, 11.8 yards per catch. Only one touchdown, but the guy does the absolute business in the open field. He's one of the most pure pass catchers at the tight end position and, and even better than some wide receivers for me. So Trey McBride, I think, is a guy who is going to go quite high in the draft. He's going to be a guy who lines up and suit, suits up on Sundays for, for years to come. Um, There's a couple of offensive guys off the first team there. Defensive guys off the first team, Jalen Petrie, safety from Baylor. Um, a guy who can play pretty much anywhere as a safety. Um, one of those players that you look at and you think, where will he line up on Sunday? But to me, like, a, like with an Isaiah Simmons or um, players of that nature doesn't matter where they line up on Sunday. Get them on the field, get them doing the business. The guy's got 70 tackles this year, 17 and a half tackles for loss, two interceptions and seven pass breaks. So whenever you watch Baylor, he's the guy that is absolutely flying around the field. Just an incredible specimen of an athlete at the safety position. So Jalen Petrie's a guy, I think, is really starting to push himself up to first round recognition, potentially, if not the second round. Um, I know... People that I've spoken to in the draft community who have likened him to Jevon Holland at Miami, who's actually having, outside of Micah Parsons, probably the rookie, of the defensive rookie of the year type campaign for the Dolphins. So he's drawn that sort of recognition. So he's certainly a guy who you should watch out for. Uh, and then Marcus Jones, defensive back from Houston. The guy's five foot eight, 173 pounds, but he's got five interceptions this season. 13 pass breakups, so don't ever let anyone tell you that it's the size of the dog. It's certainly the dog in the fight, and Marcus Jones has got plenty of fight in him. Plus 884 total kick and punt return yards this season and four touchdowns. So he's versatile, you know, trying to break into the NFL as a rookie. If you've got special teams ability, Definitely. that's a good start. And Marcus Jones is a guy who's absolutely packed with. Um, a special teams ability for them. a guy of his size, absolutely explosive athlete. Um, second team, just picked a couple of guys out, one on offense and one on defense. Tyler Beatty, running back from Missouri, 1,600 yards, six yards <laughs> of carry, 14 touchdowns. Um, NFL wants guys who can 
Um, can be pass catches as well. They want backs that can stay on the field for all three downs. 330 yards, four receiving touchdowns from Tyler Bailey as well. Real dynamic running back threat um, who is going to start climbing up draft boards um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, other guy, defensive, second team, Jermaine Johnson, defensive end at FSU. Some places, I know the AP had him as second team All-American. Some places are looking at Jermaine Johnson as a first team All-American guy. Transfer from Georgia, absolutely skyrocketed his draft stock. Is incredible athlete with an arsenal of pass rush weapons, strong as they come. Put all the production this year, really bet on himself, transferring from that Georgia defense where we know we've seen this year. They like to rotate guys in and out. No guy stands out statistically. So he's bet on himself, come to FSU, 17.5 tackles for loss, 11.5 sacks this season. Uh, and a guy who I think has got first-round potential written all over him. Um, I'll just finish off with some third-team guys. Um, one from offence, one from defence. And just because I can't help myself, we've got a punter in there as well. So <laughs> Connor, Connor Galvin, offensive tackle from Baylor. Baylor have had one of the best offensive lines in college football this year. Absolutely dominant in the trenches. Connor Galvin, 6'7", 310 pounds. He's not allowed a sack all season. He's helped Baylor establish the run game. That's the sort of guy you want mauling in the trenches for you in the NFL. He's a guy who I definitely think we could see starting on Sundays. Um, and, and a guy who isn't really talked about a lot in this NFL draft class. Um, and same as Sam Williams, the defensive end out of Ole Miss. 6'4", 265 pounds. He's pure speed, pure power. Um, a former Juco guy, one of the top Juco defensive ends uh, in the country a couple of years ago. Really come on leaps and bounds technically for Ole Miss this year. Uh, 14 tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles. He's an absolute monster. Uh, and again, another guy who doesn't get talked about a lot. There are some off-field stuff. There's some, some red flags from a, a personal background perspective. But if those all check out... Uh, the on-field product is incredible with Sam Williams and the, the ceiling's incredibly high for him. And um, Let's fin finish off with my favourite subject, punters slash kickers, a guy who can do it all, Jordan Stout out of Penn State, third-team All-American by the Associated Press, holds the field goal record um, for Penn State, he's consistent as a punter, and as we've seen this season, he can even chuck a good pass as well got everything everything going for him he's going to the senior bowl I think he's going to be a guy who certainly it's, it's hard it's hard to get put, uh, drafted as a punter or a kicker especially when you've got your guy Matt Ariser out there who's, who's receiving a lot of hype but Jordan Stout is uh, he's kind of a guy who could hear his name called because he can do everything um, so you're not having to carry a punter and a kicker you just carry Jordan Stout and he's going to do the business for you Fantastic Ollie before I let you go, one question. Um, bowl game start. We got it. We're waiting until New Year's Eve for those for those big big playoff matchups. Before then, give us a game or two that we should be watching. I've, uh, so what I've, I've done is just choose some games that run um, just for the next week or two. Because yeah. there is, I, I looked at, I look, I love bowl season. For me, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Not because it's Christmas, but because it's bowl season. <laughs> and there is, when I first looked at the slate, it was like forty-three bowls this year. It wasn't the most appetising a slate when you first look at it, but when you break it down, there is actually some great games, and they all start this Friday. 
uh, Northern Illinois against Coastal Carolina in the Cure Bowl. Northern Illinois, MAC champions. Coastal Carolina haven't had the, the season that's come up to their expectations based on last year. But there's going to be a ton of great players in that game. It's going to be an entertaining game. Northern Illinois, one of the best rushing teams uh, in the nation behind fullback Clint Rakovic. And Coastal Carolina have got some dudes on both sides of the ball. Who I don't know if they'll all play. Guys like Isaiah Likely and um, some of the defensive guys like Jeffrey Gunter. I don't know whether they'll play Friday, but if they do, there's plenty of talent on display there. Um, two games Saturday, uh, New Mexico Bowl, UTEP at Fresno State. Might not be everyone's idea of a cup of tea, but UTEP have got a great wide receiver in Jacob Cowan. Fresno State is an interesting situation at the moment. Obviously, they had Jake Hayner um, leave the program, apparently go to Washington, then change his mind and came and came back uh, to Fresno State. New coaching staff in place there as well. So they've got plenty of entertaining players as well. Aaron Mosby is a linebacker slash defensive end that I really like out of uh, Fresno State. Uh, and otherwise, on Saturday, you've got Utah State and Oregon State in the LA Bowl. First time the LA Bowl's being held, the Jimmy, the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl. Um, Utah State, one of the surprising teams this year from the Martin West. No one gave them a chance after a terrible year last year, but won the Martin West. Oregon State started well this season and kind of filtered out. So you could see a, a Power 5 team fall to Group of 5 early on in bowl season. Um, next Wednesday, one of my favourite um, bowl games of the whole entire calendar, Cafe Frisco Bowl, UTSA against San Diego State. Another two teams who've had exceptional seasons. Um, plenty of talent on display there. Um, the quarterback for UTSA, Frank Harris, he's a guy who has opted to come back to UTSA. Really interesting player to watch. You've got Zachary Franklin, the wide receiver. Sincere McCorback, the running back. Strikes me as a guy who will play in that game as well. Um, and then kicking us into Christmas, the Gasparilla Bowl. All Florida classic, UCF and Florida. Christmas Eve, technically. Midnight on Friday the 24th. Um, just a fantastic all-Florida game with, um, I would say, some bragging rights at hand there. UCF have been very much belittled as the little brother of Florida, but uh, Florida, a, a program that have had a disastrous year, um, looking to rebound, should be a really exciting game. Fantastic, Ollie. Wonderful stuff. Names that I will have to be re-listening to, making notes, taking things. I hope everyone does. Thanks for your time. We'll let you uh, join the kids on Twitch for your PFN, um, PFN live stream. Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Take care. And that is it for episode 12 of the Touchdown Review. Brilliant stuff. Lots of knowledge. The stuff from Ollie, absolutely wonderful. Hope you all got pens and papers and notepads at the ready to get all those names down because they're the players you will be seeing on Sunday. And Taib and Joe and Thomas and the rest of the touchdown.co.uk will be talking about in their NFL articles. Hope you're ready for Sunday and Saturday and Thursday. Massive game, Chiefs against Chargers. Didn't get to talk about it this week, but let's be fair, Mahomes against Herbert. You'll be staying up. I know I will be. Until next week, this guy is out and the touchdown review is over for this week. Mm-hmm.